We've got a lot to do this morning. Amongst things that are in the pipeline is in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking and doing more in regard to discipleship and to stewardship. That'll take different forms. Okay, we're going to start our process pretty much officially this morning. And Luann is going to share with us the results of some of her research as she was helping us all get ready for our process of exploring discipleship and stewardship. Luann? Good morning. Um, the finance committee is doing the discipleship equals worst equals stewardship campaign the month of October. Um, please bear with us. Please come see us each week. Um, each Sunday we'll have a little something. Um, it could surprise you. It may amaze you, or it may interest you. This week I'm going to talk about the history of our church. Um, did you know that in, 18, in 1825, the original 160-acre plat of the village of Clinton included a plat 63, which would become the church property? Then in 1828, a house, Church of Methodist, existed in the area of Clinton. A house would be big enough, would be a big enough meeting place with one or two doors, because sometimes women and men couldn't go in the same door. Um, with a wood stove in the middle of the room and benches all around all sides so there was enough seating. Big enough house could have been an actual house or a barn, um, something to get out of the weather while they had this service. In 1831, the Methodist Society was originally or was formally organized. The Tecumseh Circuit of the Ohio Conference was served by two resident ministers who were responsible for 27 appointments a month with 400 miles of travel. The amazing part of this travel time was it was done by horse through swamps, dense forests with no roads. I have heard many ask why we have so many Methodist churches in the area. Back then, churches were eight miles apart. Think about the transportation and how long it would take to travel. Can you really imagine what it would have been like the long days, finding lodging and food to stay overnight that would be safe for the minister and his horse? In 1837, construction of the church began. It was decided to build for the future with solid brick construction structure um, unlike other churches built in 1840s. Oh, by the way, this was also the same year that the Michigan Conference of Methodist Episcopal Church was organized and also the year Michigan became a state. <laughs> the church was completed in 1842. In 1851, the church attained the status of a station, which meant it became a regular stop on the circuit. It usually meant that the pastor was supported for their whole living and ministry by this station. 
1854, there was a parsonage added for the station. So in giving, we could do that again. But it would be way more than the $2,500 it took back then for a parsonage. <laughs> also at this point, it's noteworthy to say that as of this time, the Clinton Methodist Church had been functioning for 32 years prior to the Civil War of 1861. In 1869, the Clinton and Macon churches were organized as a yoke charge. Today, we call that a two-point charge. In 1888, a furnace was installed to the building. And in 1893, electric lights were installed. The church would survive the economic crash of 1895. By 1899, or 1898, the church had 221 members. In 1916, Michigan and Macon separated charges. From 1914 to 1945, the church survived the Depression, World War I, and World War II. In 1950, the Baldwin organ that still sits in our church was purchased. The church then would survive the Korean War and the Vietnam War. A building fund drive for a new education building was started in 1958, and in 1966, the new building, education building was built. In 1971 to 1972, the church did major repairs for rewiring, new lights, flooring, carpeting, painting, remodeling of the chancel, new dorsal curtains, and the cupola removed from the tower. In 1973, the trustees proposed a five-year plan for renovations of the church. The church would survive Desert Storm Gulf War. In 1995 to 96, the church formed a building committee to consider the options to renovate the church building, improve the parking situation, handicap accessibility, and bringing the building up to fire code. In November, the committee was authorized to search for a new site to build a new church. In April 1997, the Ad Board met with the Conference District Board to discuss and review the proposal to purchase a parcel of land on Tecumseh Clinton Road. After much deliberation, it was agreed that we could proceed. In January of 1998, I'm going to back up here a few years. As I announced a few weeks ago, in 1994, my husband were married in that church, and we've been married for 28 years. <laughs> in January of 1998, a special charge conference with Reverend Jerry Parker, an elder of the Michigan Conference, was held to vote on a motion of shall the Clinton United Methodist Church enter into a sales agreement with CTE to purchase acreage on Tecumseh Clinton Road. The vote was 79 yes, 12 no. In April of 1998, the United Clinton United Methodist Church entered into a purchase agreement for five acres with a contingent of three more. All eight acres were purchased as set out in this agreement. 
October of 1999, there was a church charge conference held to vote on selling the church on Church Street in Clinton. The vote passed. With this vote, we saw a couple miracles happen. The church on Church Street was put on the market in early 2000. And two weeks after it was listed, it sold. And the buyer agreed to allow us to use the building for one year until April 1st of 2001, with the worship time being moved to 12.30. Imagine being in church that late on a Sunday. We've done that. <laughs> no, 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 that's when service started. <laughs> it wouldn't have been done till 1.30. <laughs> A miracle Sunday on May 14th of 2000, we raised, the fund, we raised funds to build the new church right here, where we exist today. We exceeded our goal of 500000 which also gave us a matching grant from the Herrick Foundation for another 500000 to build with. So we went into building this building with a million dollars. Unfortunately, we went past that. <laughs> On September 10th of 2000, the groundbreaking ceremony and construction began in October of 2000. From April 1st of 2001 until the end of March in 2002, we held services at the powertrain building just south of our site. The building's still there. It didn't fall down either. Each week, we were able to see the church take shape, and we continued to pray for our new future in our new church. The, the church and the country were rocked by 9-11, and we are still here, our faith stronger than ever. Our first service was held on Easter morning of March 31st, 2002. However, we were forced to leave the building that morning by local officials. Somebody did something, I guess, that they didn't like. Um, a few weeks later, we were in the building officially and worshiping as we had dreamed that we could. In 2017, our church hit a financial hard time and came close to closing our doors. At the beginning of 2018, we began to restore and restructure our vision and plans for our church to become a viable church again. Many cuts in staff were made and the budget was trimmed feverishly. As of today, we have worshiped up in our new building for 20 years. Might not be so new right now, but we've been here. And we're making the repairs. <laughs> And most of those repairs we've made this past year, and they've paid for, just so you know. And it is time to decide what the future of Clinton United Methodist Church will look like. The facts are we have an aging congregation and volunteers are tiring. Can we grow and keep working with the community as a source of faith, source of faith strength, comfort, and enjoyment? Can we be disciples to the next generation? Our bicentennial, that is 200 years of our church's existence is coming up in a few years. Will we be here to celebrate? 
How do we keep moving into a future of discipleship in a world where Christianity is under attack or being discarded on a regular basis? The Pioneer Church remains an inspiration to Methodists throughout the state. Are we inspired here? Do we inspire our community? Please let us consider all that we have been through in 190 years and have the courage to envision the future. Discipleship equals stewardship. Are you willing to give your God-given talents to help this church grow into the future? I have and I am willing. Are you? Thank you. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Okay, Rick. I want you all to know that Luann managed to pull off, okay, covering almost 200 years of history in 10 and a half minutes. <laughs> no, she hasn't offered to give me lessons in brevity. <laughs> Go, Rick. If you subscribe to MI Connect, which is the Michigan Conference website for, you to nine, for the United Methodist Church, there was an article that came out this week called Road Trip Through Michigan Methodist History Part 2. They talk about Dearborn, Carleton, Zeba, and us here in Clinton. There's a really nice article about our church, about some of our history that gets you know, some deeper parts of it that uh, Pastor really liked and some of the things Luann touched on this morning. And the author of it interviewed Roger Waltz about it, so Roger was able to share with him a lot of really great history about our church during his time here and beyond. So if you need a copy of it, I'll make copies of it. Uh, after church here and give you a copy or you can see it online as well but it was a really nice article about our church that has gone statewide now Luann is going to hate me for this okay she's going to hate me for this but yes you do especially me Anyway, she was exceedingly nervous about doing what she did this morning. Don't you run out of here yet. Give her, give her an expression of appreciation. I don't care if you clap, say amen, whatever. Thank you all. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> um, we're going to try something a little different from here on out. 
Any added announcements that are not in the bulletin, and don't forget to read your bulletins and keep up to date on everything, that any added announcements will be during coffee hour. In doing so, we can begin our worship service time together promptly. Also, any prayers or praise, please use the prayer cards that are available with the usher. They will be handed to Mike to announce during our ministry of prayer. With doing the cards, we can continue our worship time together and be able to add to our prayer list with correct information. Thank you. Amen. And I don't have anything extra, so um, we're going to do the call to worship. And if you'll please sit silently while I read it. Be still and calm in your own body, mind, and spirit. Then you will feel something of God. Then you can turn your thoughts to the Lord from whom comes life. Those thoughts will enable you to receive the strength and the power to allay all storms and tempests. And our first hymn this morning is number 545, the Church's One Foundation.
Before you are seated, take a moment. Greet someone near you with a smile and a kind word before sitting. And a reminder, folks, okay, just a reminder, please be respectful of those people who are not huggers or handshakers, okay? Some people bump, some people just smile, okay? And both of those are all right. We have... Um, Please take the moment to, to look at joys and concerns. Okay, we have folk that, that are having procedures this week. Keep them in your prayers. We have folk that are still wrestling with some of the bugs that are going around. And we have folk that have the only way to describe them is they have situations that are full of grief. Some folk have lost loved ones. Some folk, okay, are watching the decline of people they love. Our prayers hold them up. Our prayers, our prayers remind them that they are not alone. Our prayers remind God of what's going on and invite God to lend a hand. I'm going to read the prayer of confession, and then afterwards, I want you to follow our confession with me. Let us be honest with God and with each other. Let us confess our failures and sins to each other. Let us hear words of assurance. Then we can receive the eternal forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. And please join with me. Lord God, we sure have a way of messing up our lives. We often doubt you. We often ignore you. We often offend you. But we still want to love you. We are weak. We are human. But we are baptized. And that means we are somehow on a journey into the heart of the kingdom. We each bear the divine image. And, and we, we are, are somehow all connected, connected at our deepest core, our heart of hearts. We are people together in Christ Jesus. We ask for forgiveness in Jesus' blessed name. Our assurance of forgiveness is, in the name of Christ Jesus, hear his word to you. Jesus says, 
I am one of you. I died and rose as one of you. I know who you are. I feel what you feel, and I forgive your wrongs. In forgiving you, I give you power to change your lives and see your worth as children of God and as my friends. And join me in our thanksgiving. Thank, Thank you, you, Lord, Lord for, for giving, giving us new life. It is, it is real life, and, and we, we will, will live it joy. in joy. Amen. Amen. Could we take a moment and share together the words our Lord taught us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And would you take just a moment for silent prayer? And the choir... will invite us to worship again.
Amen. Amen. You can do that again sometime. Okay. Good. As we prepare for our Lord's Supper, we do some things that are important. Amongst them is we confess our sins. We receive assurance. We also affirm our faith. Would you join me? We believe in God the Creator, who forms the present, past, and future, who gives to us the universe, our lives, and each new day. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, and greatest gift to us. Jesus teaches us and heals us in our spirits, minds, and bodies. He sets us free to be at one with God. His victory in life and death enables us to live and die without fear. In his spirit, he calls us into the church. We gather together for worship, study, and friendship. We get to know God and one another. In his spirit, he scatters us out as the church to live the life of love and forgiveness, teaching others that he is God. Amen. If you are able, would you stand for the Gloria? be seated. I hope you understand that the reason that you have an order of worship is because the pastor forgets things. <laughs> Would the children come please? I got, I got presents for me. Okay. I got presents for me. Somebody knows that I love hats. You like Spider-Man hats? Okay. And, all right, because big people know that, that there's a certain band that I really like. 
you can't, you can't read it out there. It's a grateful dead hat. <laughs> and I am still looking for people to be part of the Grateful Dead workshop, so let me know. I've got two, I've got two people that have definitely said yes, and I need four, okay, to give it a go. So how are you and the big people doing? You doing all right? Yeah. Okay. You're doing okay? I got some Halloween stuff and I got... Already Halloween stuff? Yeah. I got pumpkins already, but they're not carved yet. Okay. You haven't carved them yet, huh? Yeah. Okay. How are, how are you ladies doing? Are you doing all right? You do. Ew. You're not feeling terribly bad, are you? Oh, you are? Okay. So how's school going? Good? Good. Olivia, how's school? Is that the it's okay, it's boring? Or yeah, okay. Not social studies is good or bad? Oh. oh, okay. See, social studies is one of the things that I like a lot. And I get sad when other people don't like it as much as me. Yeah. Anyway, um, I want to talk about Jesus some this morning. Have you ever heard? You can come on up here. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's with us now, so that's what's important. Did you ever hear that Jesus is a carpenter? No. Jesus was a carpenter. Now, when you think about carpenters, what do you think of carpenters do? They don't carve pumpkins. No, they don't carve pumpkins. They lay down carpet. That's one of the things they can do. But mostly carpenters work with wood. Where you're sitting, that altar rail was made by a carpenter. Okay? Now, Jesus was a special kind of carpenter. He was what was known as a country carpenter. That means that he made things for people who farm. He didn't just make things for houses like furniture and stuff like that. Okay. He made stuff that helped farmers do their jobs. We don't often think much about that. And what's really different is when we think of carpenters, we think, well, they go to the hardware and they get a hammer. They go to the hardware and they get a saw. But Jesus had to make his own tools. Or he had to have a friend who was a blacksmith make his tools for him. Okay? Now, I'm going to ask you to come with me and I'm going to show you something. 
It's not something that Jesus made, but Jesus likely made something like it. Come on, guys, let's go. Do you remember we talked about this before? We talked about it. It's a yoke. Okay. What's it for? Okay. Do you ever watch farmers now go out in the fields with their tractors? Do you watch them plant things? Do you ever watch them harvest things? And they have the big machines? I bet you do, don't you? Yeah. Well, back before there were machines, people used animals to pull plows and wagons, okay? And this is called a yoke. And the yoke went over the animal's necks, okay? And then there was a ring that was used to attach the yoke to the wagon or the plow or whatever the animals were pulling. Okay, what's this for? That's so I can hang this on my wall. Okay, so Jesus made things like a yoke. And they got used, okay, to make people's lives better. I'm going to be talking with the big people during the sermon about Jesus' words about the yoke he makes. And he says, the yoke fits. Okay? It doesn't rub you raw. You ever have something on that rubs you raw? What a nuisance it is. How bad it makes you feel. Well, Jesus said, if you follow me, you don't have stuff that rubs you raw and makes you miserable. Jesus said, I care about you. And Jesus said, okay, I will always be with you. Notice, this is for two to pull. What are these? Those go around the animal's neck so they can attach to this piece of wood and pull. Hmm. So always remember you're not alone and you won't remember all of the details of, of what I told you, okay? Try to remember Jesus was a carpenter and he made things that helped people have better lives. You ever touch a yoke? Touch the yoke just to see what it's like. It's smooth, isn't it? Somebody put a lot of work into making it smooth. It feels like cement. It feels like cement. But it's wood. Okay? But it's wood. Okay? It's smooth. 
And Jesus tries to smooth things out so our lives are better. Let's pray, shall we? Let's hold hands. Blessed Jesus, just thank you that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Help us, O oh Lord, to always remember that. Help us to remember we are never alone. Hear our prayer. Amen. And we have treats right there. And I will get out of the way so I don't get hurt. And the children will, will be going to Sunday school, and our ushers will come for the offering. Thank you. The harvest continues. Some of us and many of our neighbors are in the fields. We pray, O oh Lord, for their safety. We pray, O oh Lord, for a bountiful harvest. From what you've already given us, we give to you. Take our gifts, bless them, and use them for the glory of the kingdom of God. Hear our prayer. Amen. Our hymn of preparation for this morning is number 362.
Thank you. You may be seated. The scripture for this morning is taken from the gospel according to Matthew. We'll be looking at chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Most of the world's changed greatly since Jesus walked it in human form. Although there are some places left in which people live and work, as did those in Jesus' time, Most people in the developed world have little notion of what life 2,000 years ago was like. That's particularly true of most of us who live here in the United States. We're pretty well clueless when we read Holy Scripture, not merely because we lack spiritual depth and insight, although that is often true, but because we lack the deep well of common experience that Jesus frequently plumbed as he taught the truths about the condition of the world, about the condition of us human beings, and about the kingdom of God, about himself, about God, and about the relationships amongst us all. Often when Jesus taught, he used the common everyday things and occurrences of life. He would work from there to offer insight into life's human and divine realities. He would work from some concrete object or experience and use it to expand people's insight and understanding into spiritual life. Now, what we moderns tend to do is we tend to work in the other direction. We attempt to use spiritual insights or understandings to deal with concrete situations in our lives. What Jesus used in his teaching, like the yoke, could carry a great deal of meaning. In a way, what I read from Matthew's gospel is the closest thing to a commercial that Jesus ever did for his own work. Think about it. Jesus was a rural carpenter. What does he make? He makes yokes. He makes yokes. Okay. Jesus taught with wit and humor and we simply don't get it. Sadly, most of what 
is lost in translation from Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek into modern languages is the humor, especially when it's translated into English. And it doesn't help that we are often humorless when we approach what Jesus said and did. Have you wondered why I spend so much time trying to get you to laugh? It's not just because I want to be a comedian. There's joy in life. There's laughter in life. Now, the scripture I read this morning is unique in the Gospels. Nowhere else in the Gospels are these words of Jesus recorded. Okay, Matthew's the only place. Often two or more of the Gospels will relate something that Jesus said or did. Not here. Jesus begins talking with a powerful summons to a surprising, neglected, and huge body of people. Come to me. Come here. All you who are spiritually and physically weary and burdened down. Come here. Come here. In Jesus' day, the vast throng of people were extremely poor to the extent we cannot imagine. Okay? I got a message on the internet yesterday from a pastor in Kenya. Okay? What made his day was he and his wife bought three pieces of cassava that they could boil and make porridge. On this side of the globe, only certain children in our country, people in Haiti as well as Latin America, know anything of the crushing poverty that most people in ancient times knew. There are only very few haves and throngs of hopeless have-nots. They were hopeless not only socially and economically but spiritually as well. The religion of Jesus' time and place demanded that in order for a person to attain the kingdom of heaven, he or she had to fulfill the whole law of Moses. Everything. You ever wonder where the jot and tittle phrase came from? The jot and the tittle had to do with the law of Moses and what had to be fulfilled before somebody could get into the kingdom. 
And that demand meant that only those rich enough to offer sacrifices and present offerings had any hope of God's kingdom. Even so-called poor people's offering could cost a week's wage. Okay, we're going to be talking about stewardship. We're going to be talking about discipleship. Okay. The last thing we're going to be talking about is money. Jesus wants you. Come here. Do we want, need money? Yeah. Duh. Okay. But the gospel is to me and to you. Come here. It was a hopeless burden to bear. You ever listen to why people don't go to church anymore? All they want is my money. All they want is to tell me I'm going to hell. All they want. The gospel message. Jesus says, come, you come here. You come here. Now, as surprising as whom Jesus summoned was what he offered those that came to him. He offered them rest and a different kind of load to bear. The rest that Jesus offered isn't what comes to mind when we hear that word rest in English. Scripture employs a word that consistently is used in Greek translations of the Old Testament to describe a fulfilling of God's gift of Sabbath. What do you do on Shabbat? You don't do anything. You rest. Makes the verse a little different, doesn't it? Hmm? I will give you, I will, come here. I'm going to show you what Sabbath rest is really like. Sabbath in the Old Testament was understood to be more than a day and more than the absence of work for people and living things. Shabbat was understood to be a state of being, a condition of the heart in the presence of God. In a sense, we're talking about a foretaste of what the kingdom of God will be like forever. Jesus summoned 
his hearers to hope. He summoned them to hope. This mess isn't going to last forever. Come here. The Jews of Jesus' day believed that every one of them had to fulfill the law of Moses. And many of them believed that if every Jew fulfilled the whole law for just a single day, the kingdom of God would arrive. You know, there was a time in the church when Christians believed that if every Christian said the Lord's Prayer three times a day, on the same day, that Jesus would come back. Jesus did not offer his listeners a life of hapless leisure. Jesus knows that the only true fulfillment of a human being can have is to be completely immersed in the presence of God. No one, no thing, simply God alone can fill the abyss that is the human heart. The Jews of Jesus' day believed that every one of them had to fulfill the law of Moses. Okay? If every one of them fulfilled the law of Moses for one day, the kingdom would come. So, talk about religion being a guilt trip. Why isn't the kingdom of God here? Because you blew it. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because all the Christians haven't said the Lord's Prayer three times in a day. Feeling guilty yet? How would you like to believe that just because you messed up some little something like washing your hands before you eat, The entire world must continue without the kingdom and be plagued by sin and suffering. Most of the Jews in Jesus' day called their hopeless responsibility to the law the yoke. And it was an unbearable yoke. It was a yoke of financially draining, even crippling sacrifices, a yoke of a tithe of every living thing, even spices, including mint and dill and cumin. A yoke that tied people to a load that could not be pulled, that the religious leaders only made a sham of pulling themselves. You want more... In regard to that, read Matthew 23, 23 through 28. Jesus offered his listeners a very different yoke. He called it my yoke. 
This is another one of those places where the translation into English doesn't provide enough information or a meaningful context. The word that Jesus uses to describe, okay, his yoke is a double yoke. A double yoke. Okay? If we take on his yoke, we are never stuck trying to do it all ourselves. We may have to cooperate and pull, but we don't have to do it all ourselves. Ever see two horses in harness and one of them's pulling and one of them is not? And the one that's pulling gets mad? You ever see that, Bill? Yeah? <laughs> it ain't pretty. We're in this together with Jesus and each other. The yoke makes it a close, intimate relationship, and we can make that either good or bad. When Jesus challenged people, learn from me, mostly we merely learn about Jesus. However, in some 2,000 years, we've done a pretty miserable job of learning from Jesus. We can say the stuff in the creeds. However, what have we really learned from Jesus? Next, Jesus offers a reassurance that doesn't translate well into English and can seem either confusing or lame. Jesus says, I am compassionate and do not abuse the ones doing the real work. Another way of putting it is, I don't force others to do what I haven't already done or am willing to do myself. Those of you who work with me have heard me say this. Now you know where it comes from. Jesus is said to describe his yoke as easy and his burden light. Easy now means something very different than it did in Middle English and from what the ancient Greek word meant. What Jesus said is, my yoke fits. It will not rub you raw. It will not make you miserable. And it will not make the load harder to pull. Jesus could talk with authority. You see, he was a carpenter. He was talking about the product of his trade. He was doing a commercial for his work. Okay. He made yokes that fit and worked well. Now, there are similar difficulties with the word translated light. The word apparently could mean something short of a full load. And in other places, it's used to describe a person rather the way we use the phrase, you have to understand, Mike's one brick short of a full load. 
Jesus wasn't making an empty promise, a no load. He offered those people a load they could actually pull. Some 2,000 years later, Jesus continues to repeat his summons, both to each one of us as well as to our families, our neighbors, and to every human being with whom we share this beautiful creation. His summons is one that we all desperately need to hear because he offers what our culture, our science, our nation, our wealth, our politics, and even our institutions of religion are not giving. It is a summons to go beyond our hopelessness to learn from him, to learn self-transcending love, generosity, honesty, compassion, servanthood. Most importantly, we are summoned to a living hope in him and in the reality and the power of the kingdom of God. The burden that Jesus summons us to bear remains the same as it was some 2,000 years ago. It's the load of bringing ourselves and the entire world to God. The yoke that we are called to share is essentially the same yoke. However, now it is made with the wood from the cross. the cross on which Jesus died. He summons us with a nail-scarred hand. Jim, we were talking about how do you know it's Jesus? It's the nail-scars in the hand. That's what I look for, man. And he still comes to us and says, I'll give you rest. Amen? Amen. We're not done yet. You'll notice that things are different up front this morning. The people that Jesus talked to 2,000 years ago knew what a yoke was. And they had probably put one on an ox or a donkey or a mule. When we come to communion this morning, Take just a moment. Touch the yoke. No burrs. No burrs. Okay. No burrs. Let the yoke be real for just a minute. And when we come to the bread, 
and the cup. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took that bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that's going to make an entirely new relationship between all of humanity and God. When we come to the bread and cup, let's take a minute and touch Jesus. And let Jesus touch us. Let us pray. Blessed Jesus, once again, bless the bread and the cup as only you can. Make them be for us your body and your blood. And make us your body doing your will in this world for your kingdom. We are not enough by ourselves. But with you sharing the yoke with us, we can pull the load. Hear our prayer. Amen. Would our ushers and helpers please come? Drink ye all of it, this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He also said, take my yoke upon you.
Our Lord broke the bread, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and said, Drink ye all of it. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. He is the one who also said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Amen. and he broke it and he said take eat this is my body he took the cup and said drink ye all of it this is my blood that same Jesus said come to me take my yoke upon you and learn of me
Jesus broke the bread and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he passed the cup and said, drink ye all of it, this is my blood. The same Jesus said, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Amen. Lord took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body then he took the cup and he said drink ye all of it this is my blood do this in remembrance of me and Jesus said, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 368. benediction is in your hymnal. It's 403. Please join me. Govern all by thy wisdom, O Lord.
so that my soul may always be serving thee as thou dost will, and not as may I may choose. I do not punish me, I beseech thee, by granting that which I wish or ask, if it offend thy love, which would always live in me. Let me die to myself, that I may serve thee. Let me live to thee, who in thyself art the true life. Amen. 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 